Welcome to Dumb Love. I'm Sally Brooks. And I'm Jen O'Neill Smith. And this is a podcast about all of the dumb things that people will do for love. So welcome to episode 21. We're adults. We're adults. We're adults. Man. Do we we seem more mature? I feel like we've grown. I feel wasted. We shouldn't have done we shouldn't have done all those shots before the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) I wish we were doing shots right now. I'm gonna be honest with you. I know. (laughs) We should we should uh, we should have like some wine with our podcast. I guess we should stop uh, recording at like 10 a.m. I mean, there are plenty of people that drink wine at 10 a.m. I know, do they, but then um, do they have I wouldn't to... judge us if we did. I'm just saying. Thank you guys for an awesome week. We're charting. We're charting. Which is pretty exciting. Yeah. yeah. We're 26 on the chart uh, in Portugal. <laughs> it's a place. It's a place. And we're excited. And we're we're there. We're um we're global. Yeah, we're global. And Portugal loves us. And we're local. And we'll take it. Yeah, yeah. I'll take it. I. Yeah. I'm just excited that anybody listens. So, you know, <laughs> I'm just excited it's not me. I mean, even if I just was like, it was me and you just hang, got to hang out once a week, I'd be excited about that. Yeah, me too. I love this. This yeah. is great. We're doing great. We're doing great. Yeah. Are you ready to get into quickies? Yeah, you know what? I don't have anything else to talk about. Yeah, me neither. Let's just get into quickies. Let's just get into quickies. Oh my God, because I my quickie this week is so fun. All right. Okay. This article comes from uh, the Washington Post, and it was written by Travis M. Andrews. Okay. Thanks, Trav. Hey, Trav. Um, Okay. So 70-year-old Lawrence John Ripple was married to Dido Ripple. And they were married for 33 years. Or they're actually, they're married. Yeah. They've been married for 33 years. In 2016, in September of 2016, they were fighting, as couples do. They were fighting over a broken dryer that she had asked him to fix uh-huh. a million fucking times. <laughs> I She's can relate. Like, it's been 33 years that you have never fixed this dryer. I can relate, Dido. Um, so they had a huge dispute and he yelled at her and he said that he would rather be in jail than be at home. So he told her that <laughs> he told her that he was going to go rob a bank and be in jail. And he like wrote out on a piece of paper that said, I have a gun. Give me money. And he said, I'm going to do it. And she was like, fucking do it. I dare you. Go do it. And do it, so though. he was like, all right, I'm going to do it. So he drove to the Brotherhood Bank and Trust in Riverview neighborhood of Kansas City. He walked in, handed the teller the note saying that. Uh, I have a gun. Give me money. And the teller gathered $3,000 and handed it over to him. But instead of like running out and get, he didn't have like a getaway car or yeah. anything or try to escape, he went to over to a chair in the bank's lobby and sat down. It was and like, he was someone come like, arrest me. Yep. And he just waited. And then so, of course, they called the police immediately because he still was like, had his $3,000 in hand and the security guard approached him like, hello? And then he just looks at him and he goes, I'm the guy you're looking for right here. <laughs> like, he was just like, come arrest me. So they were, I, can't, I can't imagine like the confusion that the security guard felt like, what? Okay. Wait, you like, do you need some help getting so, out? Do you need like a... And then, yeah, so they arrested him and they took him into custody. Um, and he told the police... That he, he said, quote unquote, I no longer wanted to be in that situation, referring to his home life. <laughs> um, so he was taken to jail. Police officer from the Wyandotte County Sheriff's Department said, you can get divorced. I've never heard of someone who would rather come to jail and commit a crime so they don't have to go home and be with their family. That's never happened. Right. <laughs> And um, but apparently she also said, well, they have libraries in jail. They have special programs, activities. Right. Yeah. So that's what he did. And he went to jail. But there's a follow up. So he did go to court, you know. Yeah. So he went to jail. And but then he had his hearing and he was sentenced. But he was sentenced to six months of home confinement. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, John. And sorry, um, Dido, who has to put up with your ass. Yeah, I I mean, mean, just get it at worst. 
Well, like, why? I could have solved. I mean, I could have helped him with these problems. If he's going to rob the bank, $3,000, take that $3,000, buy a new dryer. Yeah. And they go to jail. So at least everybody's happy. Do something for her. Yeah. Yeah. But I can't. Can you imagine, like, I could just picture her standing in the doorway with her arms crossed as he gets like, <laughs> like brought back into home and shuffling his feet and she's like, Welcome home, ding right. dong. You know what I mean? Like that's gotta feel so uh validating for her. Yeah. Like, okay, fuck face, look what you did this time. <laughs> oh my god, that's so funny. I love it. Oh, I love that story. Well, Jen I also have a story about some dub dub bank robbers. Oh yes. I was um, like, please don't tell me it's the same story. No, it's not, but I like I just was like, you know what? It's been a long time since we had like a good old fashioned bank robber story. Couple of dub dubs, you know? Like, oh, I yeah. love that we have oh, we have. But, yeah. We've we've kind of gotten out of that routine, but let's yeah. bring it back. Yeah, but now you just told one about some dub dubs and I did. And yeah. I got one too. So John Morgan and Ashley Dubow were arrested for robbing a bank near Columbus, Ohio. And they got caught because they decided to post photos of themselves Ugh. posing with their stacks of cash in the days after a crime on Facebook. Oh my God, what a bunch of idiots, yes. dude. Did they have neck tattoos also? Oh, oh yeah. Like, neck <laughs> oh, tattoos. <yeah. laughs> she actually doesn't. She has tattoos, but not on t- neck tattoos. Uh, he has face t- tattoos on his cheeks that one says, on one side it says, loyalty's thin. What? And then on the other side, it says betrayals thick. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah, yeah. I guess is... No, it's not. No, okay. (laughs) No, it's not. So according to police, John walked into the bank, gave a note demanding money to a teller, and then walked out with, like, a big wad of bills. Like, you can see a picture of him. And so he's a convicted felon. He had just gotten out on parole after serving five years for... You guessed it, bank robbery. Oh, my God. So he had these tattoos. And Ashley, who's like a dutiful accomplice before the robbery, put makeup on him to like cover the tattoos and his neck tattoos that he also had. And then before driving him to the bank, she was the getaway driver. So four days after robbing the bank, John and Ashley each posted a picture showing John holding like fans of cash in each hand while he hugs Ashley. They both posted it. And then in a selfie, John posted himself with a wad of bills in his mouth. Ew. And a relative uh, was like... People have sex on money. I know. Like, money is so gross. People have sex on money. I don't think it's the first thing I would think of, but... You don't have sex on your money? I I mean, sometimes, like, my phone will, like, slip under, you know, and it has, like, my my credit cards on it, but so kind (laughs) of... But no. Maybe um, it's just in movies. Maybe just in <laughs> Like, and uh, DuckTales. Oh, yeah. Like, <laughs> Scrooge McDuck, who, like, he swims in a pile of Yeah, cash. but Scrooge McDuck isn't boning in the oh, cards. That's true. <laughs> oh, that you know of, Jen. That's true. I haven't watched every episode. That's right. So a, a relative, like, commented on this picture and was like, hook a brother up. And John was like, it's a big stack. And he was like, I'm doing real good. And uh, and then he posted some other photos, show Ashley and John um, pretending that the cash, the brick of cash is a phone. And then another one, it said it's his lunch. And <laughs> now they're both in jail. <laughs> oh my God, that's hilarious. People are idiots. We'll post oh those pictures God. On our Instagram. Oh, yeah, we will. Which is at Don Love Podcast. Oh, man. That's the quickie. Love it. Hey, Sally. Yes, Jen. Are you ready for a crazy story? I. Crazy dumb story. Live for a crazy dumb story. Oh, man. I can't believe that. I, I, I say this every. I'm like, I can't believe I've never heard of this. Like, <laughs> I, like, I just keep finding these crazy ass stories. These come from a couples who kill. Okay. And then a Dateline episode. Dateline. And then Love also it. Snaps Killer Couples. Uh-huh. Uh, Wikipedia, of course. Yep. And then an article written for the 13th Floor TV by Elise Wax. 
Okay. But this is the story of the witch hunt killers. Okay. Have you ever heard this? No. It's nuts. You okay. know, I've never heard of anything. Okay. Susan Carson was born in 1941 in Arizona. Uh, she had a nice childhood and her mother was a stay-at-home mom and her dad had a good job and stuff, but she always believed herself to be psychic. Ruh-roh. What? Um, she only had a few friends and she ended up meeting... After high school, she ended up meeting a man a little bit older than her, and she settled down with him into what she called a boring life. Um, so, but and she quickly realized that like she didn't fit into that like Arizona like suburban lifestyle yeah. that just was not her. I get it. Um, so she started going out a lot, and she found herself um, more at home in the counterculture, you know, of Arizona, you know, like bars, nightlife, restaurants. And this was like during the 60s. So there was That's like, counterculture. Yeah, 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 like, you know, like, yeah, like going to restaurants, eating food. <laughs> <laughs> no, I said that wrong. But the uh, counterculture meaning hip, hippies. And um, she would go to bars and restaurants to meet like hippies and do psychedelic drugs and all that stuff. Okay. That kind of counterculture. I get you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm like, I'm also into counterculture. You like food. I love restaurants. <laughs> <laughs> um, so... She was like into like free love, spirituality, and she was into the Islamic religion, but it was a very radical version that she kind of created her own version of Islam, Islamic religion. And so, I don't know, she, she kind of just went off the deep end a little bit and got yeah. really big into psychedelic drugs. And one night after like... A- yeah, that, I was going to say, that sounds like something that someone on drugs came up with like i'm like into islam but like my own version yeah yeah yeah. it's like in my own way like when you're creating religions like that's that's a problem yeah totally (laughs) so one night after like dropping acid and um you know doing that whole thing she saw this she like woke up at a party and she had written all over the walls her name suzanne but she spelled it with a z Uh so like so instead of susan i mean she wrote suzanne yeah like with a z and then she knew that that was the universe telling her that her name is not susan it's suzanne or it's susan yeah or it's just (laughs) (laughs) so um she, her husband was like, uh, you're kook. And then he ended up leaving her and yeah. divorcing her. So she then, so, yeah. as a single person, she reinvented herself as this like spiritual psychic at um, 35. All right. And that happens. Said <laughs> it sounds that, like a midlife crisis. <laughs> yeah. She said at 35, she was quote unquote touched by something. And then all of a sudden she had all these visions and um, the visions told her that she needed to find her spiritual partner. And together when she found that person, uh-huh. they would change the world together. Yes. So she was on the hunt. Okay. Um, so, for a spiritual partner, they're going to, did I ever tell you one time I was, uh, at a bar or at a comedy after a comedy show with uh, my friend Andy Woodhull, who's getting like in a, that counterculture. Get that counterculture. <laughs> I was having some tapas, you know, <laughs> sipping some wine uh, with my friend Andy Woodhull, and we met this girl who was like, "Yeah, I just want to like, I'm like gonna change the world." And we're like, "How?" She goes, "Through hula hooping." <laughs> She was like, I make my own hula hoops, and I want to teach poor kids to hula hoop. <laughs> oh my God. And we have laughed about that ever since. Because oh, then at one point, she actually went to her car and brought a hula hoop into the bar. Oh, my God. What if you just, like, drove through the streets of Ohio, and there were all these, like, little kids hula hooping? I was like, like, wow, she really had a vision. She did it. She did And it. you didn't. She changed the world through hula hooping. You doubted her. <laughs> I did. We, oh we, we laughed probably in her face, I'm you sure. You turn on the TV and it's just like Donald Trump hula hooping. <laughs> <laughs> I wish. I right. wish. Um, okay. So uh, James Carson was born in 1950 in Oklahoma. Um, he also grew up in a loving middle-class family. His dad was an oil engineer and his mom was a school teacher. He was diagnosed when he was very young with a rare bone disorder. So when he was... Um, a child, he spent a lot of time on bed rest, and that's where he just read a lot. He fell in love with books, and he oh, would read about. Awesome. Yeah, I mean, you know, besides the rare bone disorder part. No, no, I just mean bed rest. 
<laughs> and so Jadi, he read a lot about philosophy, religion, and politics. And um, so when he was a teen, he was like rebel, sex, drugs, rock and roll, that whole thing. When he went to University of Iowa, he met a woman named Lynn. And they shared the same views in politics. So they married and they had a daughter named Jen. That's Miami. In 1975. And then they moved to Arizona together where Lynn worked as a teacher. Uh And he was a stay-at-home dad that also sold pot. Okay. So um, he was actually a great father and uh, very loving and attentive. But after not having a job for a while, he started to become really depressed and antisocial. Yeah. And he was, you know, searching for something. And then he started to become angry and became more and more unstable, Uh you know, over the years went by. And his wife was just over it, you know, like his mood swings, his attitude and his like lack of job pot thing. And so he, um, so she ended up divorcing him okay and so one night at a party when single james was just being single james uh uh, uh, james and suzanne met at a party and it was just instant like fireworks immediate attraction and they were like you had every advantage in life i had every advantage (laughs) in life let's hate the world together (laughs) and so they believed that everyone else was intellectually inferior to them they thought that they were just smarter than everybody yeah of course okay so then they felt like they had finally met their you know uh intellectual match and that they understood each other and that they had found their soulmates and now James was 10 years younger than her. All right, and, I get it, yeah, Suzanne. She was a Coogs. And so he was looking for guidance, and she was thrilled to have, like, a follower, you know, yeah. because she was kind of, she thought of herself as a spiritual leader. And on the very first night that they met, she changed his name to Michael. Like, you know, he was talking, and she was like, shh, no. <laughs> You're not James. Your name is Michael. And she said, like, the angel that fights the devil. And then he was like, okay. So he became, instantly became Michael Carson. And he decided that moment that he was going to give up all of his past life and then become a new person with her. That was their plan. Okay. So then they even decided to change their last names to Bear together. Uh, Suzanne and Michael Bear. Um, and so <laughs> it's then, like for, if you're going to change your name, like, can you give me a little more exciting? Yeah, I know. Apparently, it was just because he really liked bears a lot. (laughs) (laughs) So they traveled abroad together. And then under the moon at Stonehenge, they declared themselves husband and wife. Now, there's no, like, paperwork or evidence that this ever happened. But they said that they, under like, at Stonehenge, they they were married. Uh And then they moved back to the United States. And they declared themselves Muslim warriors for God. Okay, great. Yeah. Yeah. And it's very important that I say that they called themselves Muslim, but they were not. Like, they picked and chose things that suited them. They made up things. They did things, many things that were way against the Muslim religion. And if they, you know, they would have been kicked out of the religion immediately. So, like, do not judge Muslims based on their it sounds like every Catholic I know who's like just yeah. pick and choose. They're like, I mean, I know they say no, no premarital sex, but <laughs> yeah, not they weren't talking to me. Nah. Um, so it's uh, so they weren't like actual radical Muslims. They thought of themselves as right. That's just what they call themselves. So everyone in Arizona was hated just them. like, you hated them, and was just like, you guys are crazy. They were like, apparently they just like looked crazy and they smelled and nobody wanted to be near them so they decided to move to the hate ashbury district of san francisco where they belong they felt like they belonged yeah um because it's you know hate ashbury in the 70s michael then declared himself was called a hashashim which is where you smoke hash and then you go kill your enemies that's what he declared himself is that like Um, an actual thing or is that a thing that he made up um I don't know in their crazy minds that their purpose in life was to kill witches. Are Uh, you Googling it? uh Thank you. (laughs) But even for the hate Ashbury um, district in the 70s, everyone thought they were crazy. Um, So they, like, nobody wanted anything to do with them, but they felt like they needed to find recruits. So they were basically like a two-person cult and they needed more people to like follow them. So in 1981, when I did a party, they met Karen Barnes. Karen had just moved. Well, she moved 
from Jonesboro, Georgia at an early age to Hollywood. She had dreams of becoming an actress. Um, And when that didn't pan out, she moved to San Francisco where she also fell in love with the hippie counterculture. Uh Uh-huh. Um, you know, eating food. Right. Um, so she thought that Suzanne and Mike were extremely interesting. They were older than her. And, you know, she just thought, just hung on their every word. Young people, and when older people are paying attention to you, they're usually nuts. Yeah, they're nuts. Like, there's a reason <laughs> why, like, people who are older don't like younger people because we're like, ugh, you're young. Yeah. You have your whole life busy. ahead of you. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Like, you got things going on. Like, so if somebody is like, seems eccentric, but like overly interested in you, they're probably crazy. So get- We're trying just, to kill you. Yeah. <laughs> she loved talking to them and she talked to them. She liked to think of them as like her teachers. Uh-huh. And they were, loved that. You yeah. Know, they, they were like, we're so smart. People. Of course, yeah. we should be teachers. So Karen was looking for a roommate and they needed a place to stay. So they ended up moving into her basement apartment. Not long after Suzanne began to say that anyone, um, she, so this is where another thing where she like picked and chose, like right. she said that the feelings that she got, if she felt intimidated by someone or she felt like, you know, like someone was a threat, uh-huh. then they had to be a witch. And so oh, like, right, you yeah. know, okay. so she said that her psychic abilities could say who was a witch and who wasn't. And so Karen was this like young, beautiful, smart girl. And so of course Susan was like, she's a witch Witch. and we need to kill her. And so she told Mike that she was stealing her yogic powers. Like just her energy was draining the life out of her and making her ugly. I've met friends like that. You just ugly. (laughs) And so, um, while, and then while they were hitchhiking on a, um, uh, they were on a hitchhiking trip during a rainstorm. Um, Suzanne believed that she got orders to kill Barnes. Every time she said out loud, I'm going to kill her, uh-huh. um, kill Barnes, then the thunder would clap. And it's like, no, bitch, it's just raining outside. It's just a thunderstorm. Um, so she was convinced. She would like see lightning and say it real quick. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> totally. And like, so that's how, yeah, that's how she was able to convince Michael that she was a witch, you know, and that they needed to kill her. And then Michael, of course, was like, mm, okay. And so in March 1981, the couple stabbed Karen 13 times and bludgeoned uh, her to death with a frying pan. Poor um, sweet. I know. Poor sweet girl. And when her body was found, the police contacted her family and friends, and Suzanne and Mike instantly became prime suspects because her family and friends all said that Karen was telling them that like she was that they were scaring her and she didn't know how to get out of the situation. You know, she was like 23 years old and yeah. she had this like adult older couple living in her house. They outnumber her, they're older. Right. Like I I can't imagine if I was that age trying to get these people to like leave my house. You know yeah, what I like, mean? They just won't leave the basement. Yeah. And so they, so all of her family and friends knew like it had to have been them. But at this point, they had already fled to the mountains of Oregon um, where they hid out for a whole year. And they found this like treehouse thing and they called it um, Alva's Mountain, uh, where they were eventually evicted from there because they were cuckoo. And they set out to hitchhike to California where they were then picked up by a man who let them stay. I'm sorry, the first place where they stayed was a mountain home. This place was a treehouse. So then he, they were picked up by a man who let them stay in a treehouse that he had on some land okay. that he lived. And then soon after, Suzanne started acting crazy, and the man asked them to leave. Um, so they decided to rob him, and uh-huh. then they set his house on fire. Sure. So He sounds like a witch, too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He had to have been a witch. But uh, he didn't. Luckily, he wasn't home when it happened, but they robbed him and they stole a gun from him. And, you know, they burned his house. Yeah. Um, So then they headed north to Alder Point, California, where they ended up living and working on a marijuana farm. They hoped to start a whole new life there, but the pot farmers were like, you guys are crazy. Yeah. Like, they were always, like, on... Which is surprising because it's a pot farm. But they were always on drugs and being obnoxious, <laughs> they said. <laughs> but I, I think they were probably on psychedelic right. drugs versus like just smoking pot and being chill. Yeah. Um, so at one point, Clark Stevens, who was a friend of the owner of the farm, was asked to come out 
and uh, work on the farm and he immediately butted heads with them and they would fight over like the correct method of farming and things like that and then they would yell back and forth to each other and in in the muslim religion um disrespecting a woman is considered a huge no-no so that's something that suzanne picked from yeah. the religion and she was like you you have to avenge me he disrespected me and it's your job you have to kill him and so he was like, mm, okay. So he shot him, Clark Stevens, and then they decided to burn his body to get rid of the evidence. And he was reported missing. And everyone, you know, was looking for Clark Stevens. And yeah. two weeks later, and of course they fled immediately, you know. They killed him and then they fled. And then they were everyone was wondering where Clark Stevens was. And two weeks later, a dog like ran up and was like playing with the ball. And then they realized it was a human skull. No. And so then the police were called out and then it quickly led them to locate his remains. Oof. And then while um, Michael and Suzanne were on the run, um, where they searched for their abandoned belongings that they left at the pot farm, uh-huh. they found a manifesto that they had written, which uh, was called Cry for War. It, it was an anti-government manifesto, okay. and it had a hit list for prominent figures that they said that they were going to assassinate, such as Johnny Carson and um, then President Ronald Reagan. Okay, dude, everybody's always trying to kill Ronald Why? Reagan. What do you I do? Don't know. Reaganomics. <laughs> um, so they went to um, Trinity County, California, and the ne- the next day they saw a search and rescue team that was actually looking for a hitchhiker. That went missing, uh-huh. but they um, freaked out thinking that it was the police looking for them. So they panicked and they split up. And so Michael went to L.A. and was, this is what's so crazy. So Michael went to L.A. and he was picked up by the police as a rape suspect that they were looking for. Just randomly? Totally different guy. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, how many guys with like, you know what I mean? Like back right. then everybody had that like shy, long hair, beard, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, look. So... I mean, he looks like, you, I'll post a picture, but he looks like every dark-haired guy with long hair and a beard and blue eyes. You yeah. know what I mean? That look. So when the, he was picked up by the police, he actually had the gun on him that he killed Clark Stevens with. It was on him. And Dummy. Then, yeah, but when the police patted him down, they didn't find the gun. So they're dumb. dumb. They're the dummies. Everybody's and dumb. And he gave them a fake ID, uh, fake name and fake ID. And so they took his picture and they sent the picture to the rape victim. And the rape victim was like, no, that's not him. So they just let him go. And wow. In, yeah. And so later in the backseat of the car, they found the gun that Michael had like dumped it in the backseat. You know, after they patted him down, they didn't see it. Like then he like let oh, like it fall in the out. police cruiser? And he, yeah, he like tried to hide it in the back of their car while they took him in for questioning. Oh my God. Yeah. So they found the gun. Um, and then when um, then they found out that people were looking for this, for this guy. guy, so they sent the gun to the lab, and it was a match to the gun that killed Clark Stevens. And and like, oh, that was guy like, that we just like go idiots, yeah, oh totally. So then a week later, Suzanne and Michael met in Sonora, where they had said that if we ever split up, meet me here. Yeah, you know. So that so that's where they met, and then they eventually ended up in um, Portland. And again, they like crazy out there welcome somewhere and right. people ask them to leave. And so in 1983, they were out hitchhiking again when um, 30-year-old John Charles Hellyer was driving the Santa Rosa and stopped and offered them a ride. So very soon into the trip, um, which again, if I can't say it enough times, like do not pitch up pick up hitchhikers. I know people did it back in the day, but we don't need to do that anymore. Ben and I have hitchhiked I know. so much. You're crazy. But like, it, it's different in hiking, hiking term. Like, no, it's not. No, it is. Like, because your trails, <laughs> you know, you get off a trail, you don't have a car, and people like take you to... No. No? <laughs> Still very, very dangerous, Sally. I mean, I'm not going to pick up a hitchhiker. I'm just saying that people have been very nice to provide Ben and I rides when we were much younger and hiking. Okay. Like Those, we actually drove down from, um, like somebody, a guy took us like two hours from like Northern California down to like this other place we wanted to hike on our honeymoon. Oh my God. You're lucky to be alive. You're crazy. Don't do that. Okay. Um, <laughs> Why are we back in there now? 
I mean, because as a stranger, you have a car seat. I mean, come on. Yeah, true, <laughs> true. So very soon into the trip, Susan decided that she had this vision that he was a witch and they were going to have to kill him. Yeah. Um, she said that he was listening to country music which was like the first thing she didn't like. And then he accidentally, you know, because it was one of those like three-seater front seat truck things. Yeah. And she was sitting in the middle. And when his leg touched hers, she believed that that was an assault. That right. his leg touched hers. He was disrespecting so her. She turned to Michael and gave him this look like, do it. You know what I mean? Like, kill. <laughs> she so. was like, he is a witch. Like, was like, what? She was like, witch. <laughs> and so he pulled out his gun, and then, but John fought back. They fought so hard that he ended up pulling. He ended up pulling over the car, and in broad daylight on the highway, in front of tons of people that yeah. witnessed this, they fought for ten minutes. Um, and wrestled while people watched. And then he ended up shooting John and he killed him. Oh. I know. I was and really they, hoping that John survived. No, I wish. I wish. And then they ended up stealing his car and then they had headed to Napa County. Suzanne was driving the car and she ended up crashing the car and running into the woods. They ran into the woods, but they were eventually caught. Oh, good. Um, because, okay. you know, they're spiritual leaders, but they're not fast runners. <laughs> and they can't fly. So at pre-trial, Mike admitted to the two killings of jo- of John and Clark Stevens. Yeah, but he claimed that they were both in self-defense, and Suzanne just refused to speak at all. She wouldn't say one word, like nothing, and she just let Mike do all the talking. Yeah, and so then for the first time in her life, yeah, and so Mike said, told the police that he would confess to Karen's murder but in exchange for a press conference. Like he thought that they needed a press conference so that they could speak to the world. Right. Um, and so uh, they thought, and they truly thought that if they had a press conference and, and said, yes, we killed Karen, that it was, it, that they would be rewarded. Because they she thought, was a witch. Yeah. They thought that people would like hail them as heroes because they said, quote unquote, they killed the most power, powerful witch in San Francisco. Oh my God. Crazy. So during the press conference, he just like spewed nonsense for six straight hours. Just like. Six hours? Six hours. You think that they would be like, all right, all right. <laughs> you got your point across. But um, but he did admit to stabbing um, Karen, but he only admitted to stabbing her twice when she was actually stabbed 13 times. Um, so in June of 1984, the trial um, for the murder of Karen Barnes uh, began, and they actually like recan- they said they changed their plea to not guilty and okay. said that they didn't do it. But of course, everybody knew they right. were guilty. So in July, like of you literally held a six-hour press conference. Right. We we all just like, <laughs> you just said it. So in 1984, um, I'm sorry, July of 1984, which is one month later, they were both convicted and sentenced to 25 years to life. And then in 1985, they were, that was for the murder of Karen Barnes. Uh-huh. And then in 1985, they received the same sentence for Clark Stevens. 1987, they received the same sentence for John Hellyer. Right now, Michael is incarcerated at the Mule Creek State Prison. Uh-huh. And Suzanne is incarcerated at Central California Women's Facility. And they still write letters to each other in prison. And they still consider themselves very much still married. Wow. Isn't that crazy? That's such a crazy story, and I've never heard that. Yeah, and then, but then I never heard it either. But then I was surprised when I like dove into it, and it's like there's been like a hundred documentaries, right? Of course. Where was I? What was I doing? Where was I? (laughs) Why did nobody tell me? Nobody called me up to tell me. (laughs) Just give me a call. Just give me a call and tell me. Um, So that's my crazy story. Ugh. Well, those people. Okay, I hate them. Me too. Are you ready for a love story? Sure. Uh, yes. Hey, uh-huh. a little enthusiasm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to switch it up because I always go, ah, yeah, I am. But I was trying, I was like, what can I do that's different? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> Be an asshole, I guess. That's I guess. what you could do. <laughs> You're right. That was asshole-ish. I'm sorry. Sure. Oh, my God. I can't wait. Let's I, hear it. Thank you. Thank you. That's what I thought you would say. I mean, I just listened to that horrible story about the horrible couple. I know. We need a, we need a palate I mean, cleanser. you did a great job. But. Let's, 
Let's do it. Palette. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Palette cleanser. Okay. So this is a story about Roseanne Sedoya. Do you know her? No. Okay. When Roseanne Sedoya woke up on the morning of April 15th, 2013, she was excited to get up and out of the house. She was going to watch her friends run in a marathon. And and Roseanne was actually a long distance runner herself. But today she was like, I'm just going to be a spectator. She had gone to watch this particular marathon, the Boston Marathon, many times. She went first as a kid with her family and then with friends as she's got older. She said, uh, the energy that is in the city of Boston is truly electric. She said, it really was. Boston's f- dope. Yeah. I, I had to go a couple times for comedy and I just, I love it. Yeah, Boston's great. It yeah. really is. It's like a, a little big city. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, it feels like, it's a big city, but it feels very, like, community and yeah. um, there's so much history. The audiences there are great. Yeah. Yeah. So she'd spent the morning watching the Red Sox play at Fenway Park and then um, headed to the marathon to catch her friend who was about to cross the finish line. And just as she reached the crowd, she heard a loud loud explosion. And down to the left, um, she said everybody stopped and the crowd went silent. And she turned to run. But two steps later, she saw two flashes of light. And then everything went blank. God, this was such a terrible day. Yes. And oh. she had run right into a second bomb. And as you now remember, April yeah. 15th, 2013, was the date that two brothers decided to terrorize the city of Boston and set off two homemade pressure cooker bombs at the Boston Marathon. And what followed paralyzed the city. They killed an MIT policeman. They kidnapped a man in his car. They had a shootout with the police uh, in nearby Watertown. And during which two police officers were severely injured and one of whom died a year later. Mm. One brother was shot several times and the the other brother ran over him while escaping in the stolen car. And that first brother died soon after. And then there was like, you remember, there was like this huge manhunt that lasted like four days. And so like, and the whole city was just like, shut down and paralyzed. And so thousands of police officers were searching this like 20 block radius in Watertown. Like the residents had to stay indoors. There was like all the businesses and public places were closed. And then around 6 p.m. there was a, a person discovered one of the brothers hiding in a boat in his backyard. Do you remember that? Oh, it was yeah. like, he was oh, like God, under a boat. That. Yeah, it was like a, a like a rowboat. And yeah. so he's under the boat. And then he was shot and wounded by police before being taken into custody. So that's kind of how the whole thing so he's played still out. Alive. Yeah, I think he's still alive. I think wow. he went to trial. But so of course Roseanne had no idea that yeah. what had happened, you know, when she when the bombs went off. So um all she knew was that her leg was seriously injured. She was barely conscious, but she credits three strangers for saving her life. Aww. There was a college student, Shores Salter, who cinched his belt around her leg to stop her from bleeding to death. Wow. There was a police officer, officer Shada Catone, who helped keep her calm and managed to flag down a prisoner transport vehicle to wow. take Roseanne to the hospital because all of the ambulances were like, they wouldn't stop because they were yeah. already full. There were hundreds of people injured that day. Um, three people died. And... So and then there was the firefighter Mike Matira, who when uh, when the prisoner vehicle stopped, he lifted her up into the truck and then held her hand all the way to the hospital. And then he came back to check on her the next day. Aww. And she says she later learned about all of these strangers because at the time, you know, she was in so much pain she had her eyes closed. She knew that something bad had happened, but she was like, "I don't want to see. I don't want to see." Oh, what do you want to yeah. look at it? Oh, yeah. I can't imagine. Actually, when the Mike Matera, who was a firefighter, came back to see her the next day, she didn't even know that he was one of those three people who would help save her life. And she didn't notice, but her family and friends noticed that Mike, the cute firefighter, kept coming back to check on her over and over over the next few weeks. And her mom kept nudging her about Mike, and Roseanne was like, she says, so I'm like, seriously, you're trying to fix me up? I was just blown up. Oh, my God. <laughs> but eventually she did notice. She noticed that he was showing up for her and like in the worst time of her life. And they started spending time together. So he offered to take Roseanne to her follow-up appointments like as, as she was like starting to get out. And so he went to her first prosthesis appointment because I don't, I didn't mention, sorry, but she lost 
her leg. She lost oh. one of her legs from like, I think like it's like the knee down. Oh, yes. And so and there were a lot of people who lost limbs that day. And so she was like, he went to the first one with her, like, so not like romantic or anything, but she was like, it was good to have somebody else like analyzing the situation. She said she would drive, we would have lunch. And then like, they really started to get to know each other. He started coming to all her appointments with her. And she said, I got to know he was like a great person. And that's when my attraction started. So two months later, Roseanne was interviewed about the bombing. Like, and then, and the reporter who was like, oh, you're in touch with the fireman, like decided to speak to Mike too. Uh-huh. And so the next day they they had an appointment. She had an appointment for prosthesis fitting and they both were like, so what did what did you say? Because like, it was like a people interview and they both were like, he was like, what did you say? She was like, what did you say? And they were both like kind of worried because I think they had like confessed their feelings they, to the reporter, yeah. but not had to each other. And so they like, that was like what made them talk about it. And they were like, we don't want to ruin our friendship, but let's give it a try. So, so they did. And then Aww. three years later, they got engaged um, and did tuck it. And then Yay. a year later, the two were married. That's awesome. And Roseanne wrote a book called Perfect Strangers about Mike and then the other two people. Not Valky Bartakama. No, which is what, yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, I wish. <laughs> and Cousin Larry, is that okay? <laughs> yeah, Cousin Larry. Um, and so she tours, she wrote this book and she tours the country talking to groups about making the choice to be positive and about how you could come out of the other side of a tragedy. I mean, she's not like, oh, this was so great, but she's like, She's like, I have plenty of ups and downs, but overall, she's like, I'm surprised by how well I could cope. She says, if somebody had told me that this is what, if this was going to happen to me, I would have said, I don't want to live like that, but you just don't know. You don't know until you're there and I'm doing okay. And she says, it was just a moment in time. And now, right now, this is my life forever. Like now I have to decide how to move forward. So that's kind of her message. So five years later in 2018, Mike ran the Boston Marathon to raise money for a charity set up in memory of a friend and fellow firefighter who was killed in the line of duty. And Roseanne was back at the finish line, this time supporting her husband and showing that she's a badass. Oh, she is a badass. She is a badass. Oh, my God. So that's my story of Mike and Roseanne. I love that. Yeah. She is a badass. She is a badass. But But she also says, like, she's like, you know, there were... Lots of people who lost limbs that day. And she said, we all had different experiences. And she said, I am really lucky for the support and how I came through it. So, I mean, yeah, she looks at herself as a lucky person. Yeah, she is. And and it's the people that also, like, rushed to help her and, you know, thought quickly. And it's amazing. It is amazing. It's a good good story. Good story, bro. Thanks, bro. All right, should we do something dumb and something we love? Yes, let's do it. Okay, so for something dumb is something that just happened in uh, New York City. Uh-huh. We all know the piece of shit that is Harvey Weinstein. Yeah. Um, that if, and if you don't know, uh, he was charged with rape and other criminal sexual acts by many, many, many women. Yes. That he took advantage of. There's a documentary about yeah, if you it. Yeah, if you don't know about it, then you're been like yeah under a rock what's infuriating is that he's just out of not in jail yeah, he's just like living he's his living life his life so much so that he went to um uh, it's called the downtime bar on the lower east side of manhattan to go watch this um comedy show called actors hour uh-huh. he went in to watch this show and he and it's so crazy because he's like surrounded by women like right. women are surrounding him and so this made you know the actors and comedians that were there like incredibly uncomfortable. Yeah. And I think it's just so shitty that they were there. There were three women that I feel like are amazing and so brave and shout out to them. But um, their names were um, Kelly Bachman, uh-huh. Amber Rollo, and uh, Zoe Stuckless, uh, Zoe Stuckless uh-huh. sorry, that they all like just were not okay with the fact that everyone else was okay that this man was sitting in the room. Yeah. And they um, did a really brave thing and they, um, you know, um, K- 
Kelly Bachman called him out on stage when she was performing. You Good know, for and, that's, her. and that's what sucks is like she had to give up her showcase to address that this fucking monster is sitting there watching. Right. And and she said she said um, I'm gonna address the elephant in the room. Um, it's actually more of a Freddy Krueger. And she like called him out. And the thing what's crazy is that so many men in the audience were booing her. Of course. And telling her to get off the stage and be quiet. But there were women that were applauding her. Thank yeah. God. And so, but what's crazy is then there was um, the other two comedians. Um, I'm not sure if they're all comedians or not, but these uh, two other women called him out. And, you know, stood up in his face and said to everyone, like, I can't believe you're okay with this. Yeah. And they were both escorted out. Like, they were they were the mon- right. the bad ones. And they, they were the threats. Like, this fucking piece of shit rapist right. that had, like, assaulted so many women. And then these women stand up for themselves and they were dragged outside of the bar. Here's what's the crazy thing about it is it's not like this was just a guy who's been accused of something it's like eating at a restaurant and yeah you know and people were like you don't have you can't be in this restaurant like this is when you're a performer like they're like asking you to perform i'm sure these women were working for free like but they're like hey you have to perform for this monster like yeah and that is horrible it like the venue has no respect for these women or their safety or their dignity and like fuck yeah for them i mean that it's it's huge for them to like stand up for themselves and stand up for the other women in the room and stand up for women were there. so very powerful. That's yes. what's, like, it's scary. It is scary. And so the fact that they put themselves out there and stood up for themselves and women in general, that's amazing. Yeah. And honestly, shame on all of the women that were sitting around at his table right. and didn't back these women up. That's, yeah. like, shame on them. Yeah. Um. So that's something dumb obviously uh-huh. it's like infuriating that this happened but um and it's infuriating that these women were asked to leave um but the um the something that i love was the bravery of these women that did yeah stand up for them i think they're badass and i think that it's like kind of gone viral and on facebook people are talking about it people are sharing and yeah so i love all of the people that are sharing and backing these women up yeah, and, and uh, I'm sure that they are getting some really hateful messages. I'm sure they messages are. They are, actually. Yeah. I've seen on Facebook like um, some things that are shared. Like uh, someone said that Kelly Bachman, they're like, well, you weren't even funny when you were taking them down. Like, you know, you're... It, it was like she was... It's like, you know, that's not her job like to be funny, like, while yeah, she's taking them down. And, she, like, and it's not like she was on the spot and feeling threatened. Like, yeah. it's not like she was, like, performing her hour for Netflix and she had a year to prepare right. on the, the, like, shocking things she was going to say. It's like, no, she... That was... I can't imagine how that must feel to, like, look out in the audience and see... Like, it's hard enough when you're performing and you see a man with his arms crossed scowling at you. Right. And it's like, that throws you sometimes and you're like, fuck, like, what's your problem? Yeah. Uh, or, you know, hecklers. But can you imagine, like looking into the face of this monster yeah it's crazy and so i don't know so people are just like the the, yeah they are getting a lot of shit yeah so if you you know have a second we'll uh post their twitter handles go send them a nice a nice message um and just tell them you think that it is awesome what they did yeah and this is actually going to be a couple come out a couple weeks after this has happened yeah um so like you know be a nice little surprise like hopefully you know things have died down but like uh just go tell them you think that they're badasses because they are and yes. i'm proud of those women me too okay so uh my something dumb is is that i'm solo parenting yeah that's tough it's tough but for a good reason, because Ben is in Amsterdam for I'm a conference. I'm so jealous. I know. I am too. I I, I never hope... have conferences in cool places. Right. I know. Like but... Tampa. Yeah. Something. Ben's like. Uh, I, I was like, you get to go to all these like. Like he's been to Northern Ireland and he's been to Argentina and Colombia and. Dude, professors go to the coolest places. Yeah. My friend Naomi, her husband um, Justin, they actually call him the professor. That's uh-huh. his nickname. Um, but he is every summer he goes somewhere amazing yeah. and like Naomi goes with them and they spend the whole summer in like Germany and cool places, oh. dude. Yeah, that's cool. 
But he's there. So he's there for a conference. And I'm like, yeah. But I'm so excited for him because he just never gets away. He was like, you could do... You go to a lot of places I don't go. I'm like, yeah, but I go to like Omaha. You know, I, mean, like, <laughs> I, don't, I, I love Omaha, but still, you know, like, but so he, I, he presented two things and he is all done right now. So now he is just like touring and going to the conference kind of, but also just like, I hope he is having a great time. But the thing that I love is that my good friend and also Max's favorite person in the whole wide world, um, his, his former nanny is staying with us. Yeah. Um, so not totally solo parenting, but she is uh, Carmen Lagala. She is uh, so funny. So I saw funny. her. I we did a show together the other night while she was in town, and she was so funny. yeah. She's so funny. She's been on Colbert. She's like Comedy Central. She's really great, and she's performing at the Punchline this week um, in Atlanta. And so she's staying with us, and it just makes me so happy. Like we, you know, we've been gone for over a year, and Max is little, but like. Carmen is still his favorite person. Like, I just love seeing them together. They're like two. I mean, she taught him his first words. Like, it's just so special to like have someone who like helped raise and form your child. Yeah. And like someone that you trust and like so much. And um, it's just so nice to have her in town and to have Max. Like last night she had to go to a show and he was like, I just want to go with her. I just want my Carmen. And I was like, that's really, I mean, I'm here. (laughs) But it's just very, it's just like a really special thing to have and to have somebody who loves your child and who they love back. And that's a really cool thing. So I'm just happy to have her around. That's amazing. Yeah. Give it up for Carmen. Give it up for Carmen and check her out. She's a funny, funny, funny gal. And someday Max will be able to like, she'll be super famous and he'll be able to be like, that was my daddy. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. you'll be super famous, and he'll be like, "That's my mom." Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> or whatever. There was, it's so funny because it reminds me. This was a one night at a show a long time ago. My buddy uh, Mike Roland, who I love, and he uh-huh. actually is—he's blowing up now. He was just on Comedy Central. He's great. Yeah, and I love him. He's a doll. But he—he um, he said it in front of me and our friend Sam Severin. He goes like, "You know what? I really want. I just really want one day that I can become famous." And your kids will look at me and they'll go, hey, that's Mike and he's famous and we know that guy. And then Sam was like, uh, how about her mom gets, their mom gets famous and they're like, hey, that's my mom. And he's like, yeah, that too. That's oh, you. right. Oh, yeah. I guess that'd be okay too. Oh, Mikey. Um, shout out to him. He's killing it right now. You can see him on Comedy Central. Oh. Comedy Cellar. He's very, very funny. Check him out. Check him out. Um, all right, guys. Well, this was, you know, we did another episode. We did. And I I think this was a great one. I mean, this was an amazing 21st birthday. Yes. Let's let's actually go out and have a real drink now. Let's have a real drink. You know, sorry, we're probably going to be really hungover for our next episode. <laughs> but thank you guys again for hanging out with us. We really appreciate you guys spending your time with us. And um, we hope that you guys have a great week. And get out there and go do something dumb for love. Dumb, da dum 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 da dum da dum dum da dum 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 da dum da